This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn, and before we do anything else from all of us here at Best Friends, we'd like to wish you a very happy holiday season. As you heard last week, the national level data is trending not in the way we all want it to. We know that things the latter half of this year were much more difficult for life-saving, so now more than ever, we need to be taking advantage of every opportunity. One program that has saved millions of lives is transport. If you're not familiar with transport and its role in saving shelter pets, it's a pretty simple concept. One community that has more animals in need of a positive outcome than they can provide, well, they'll connect with shelters and rescue organizations in another community that has a shortage of adoptable pets. Yes, a shortage, a word that may feel out of place in the context of shelter pets, but it's true. There are areas of the country that have done a great job increasing adoptions, offering spay and neuter services to the point that adoptable animals are in short supply. So they have the capacity to help another community and by doing so, they will have adoptable pets available for the public. There are also shortages of particular types of pets in some communities, very small dogs, for example. So those communities will seek out partnerships in places that have more small dogs coming into the shelter than there are adopters for them. But if there's one roadblock to transport, pun intended, that can often derail efforts, it's finding partners. So whether you're in a community that wants to send animals or receive, those connections, they're just not always easy to make. So for episode 93, we're sharing one of the sessions from the 2021 Best Friends National Conference. The presenter is Claire Callison from American Pets Alive. She's got a lot of great information in her presentation, Transport Outreach, How to Establish and Grow Your Rescue Partnerships. There are lots of resources related to this topic, things Claire mentions, and plenty of other resources. In fact, recently, the Best Friends Network, we launched a transport connection map that shows the Best Friends Network partners across the country who are interested in sending or receiving animals and those who are willing to do both. So we've put links in the show notes for this episode for all of those things. So check those out on your podcast player you are using to listen to this right now, or you can always visit the website bestfriends.org slash podcast. Again, we hope you have a great holiday and please be safe. Now here's Claire Callison. Hi everyone, my name is Claire Callison and I'm the Maddie's National Director of Pet Supply and Demand for American Pets Alive. So uh, my role, a little bit about me, I'm here in Austin, Texas. Uh, we do a lot of work out of American and Austin Pets Alive helping rescues and shelters all over the country, but primarily here in Texas. So to get started, um, a good question to ask ourselves with everything going on in the world is how does transport fit? Transport programs and rescue partnerships have definitely evolved over the years. Certainly when I started maybe 10 to 12 years ago, things have changed drastically since then. So I think we should really look at a, an approach that we're taking today and asking ourselves, how does transport fit in just in a national uh, world that we're living in right now? 
and how should we be approaching it? So one of the things that is a conversation that's happening, and I, and I think it's a very important one, is looking at the role of transport in local communities. So when we're looking at, we'll use Texas as an example, because I'm here in Texas, when we're looking at helping different shelters that need help in Texas, we have to look at their community support and what resources that they have before moving to transport. So what I always like to think about is taking a local first approach. So when we're at a shelter, maybe we're working at a shelter or looking to partner with one, some of the programs that we love to see first before maybe embarking in a transport initiative is the, the work that the shelter's doing to keep families together. It is a lot of work to be moving dogs and cats all over the country, but they might just need extra resources. They may need some extra temporary boarding support. What support can we provide people so they're not separated at the intake counter from their dog or their cat? So that should be our number one goal, first and foremost, is keeping families together. And then if you know a dog or cat comes into the shelter and we don't know where their owner is, having a really aggressive getting um, pets home to their to their parents. So getting lost pets home, having having a strong reunification program, extremely important to have that first. And then also supported self rehoming. So if somebody is looking, uh, maybe their dog or cat is just not the right fit for them in this time. They might have friends or family members or you know people that they work with that might be able to help giving the shelter's role and giving that support to that person and, and helping them rehome their pet um, so that they don't have to come into the shelter. Really important programs to have in place. Other things that we've had for hopefully a few years now, but always need improvement are robust foster programs. So for dogs and, and cats that are in Southern shelters, how can we get them into homes? How can we get them into foster homes? And then as we are progressing, looking at medical and behavior issues even more. So moving dogs and cats that traditionally may have been euthanized or may have been sitting at the shelter longer, but looking at what options that they have to go into foster homes instead. And then of course, embracing open adoptions. So many of our communities in the South uh, particularly have a lot of adopters. We have plenty of people that would want to adopt a dog or cat that are in our shelter. But if we have many barriers in place, if we're making it difficult for the public to come in and to adopt a pet, that's gonna be really difficult to be able to you know, connect people, people with their pets. So, um, and you'll see at the very end of my list here is transport rescue partnerships. So again, a local first approach. Uh, transport should really never be your first go-to if you don't have all these other programs in place. Um, and there's always room to improve, you know, embracing your community first. So I think that's a really important theme that um, we're going to touch on on this on this presentation. So the role of transport, and we have a huge opportunity to make these changes today. So keeping in mind the themes that I just talked about, that local first approach, one of the things, if we have an action item that we can change today, um, I'm going to cross it out right now, that term, get them out of Texas or get them out of this state, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida. I've heard it a lot. You know, there is this view out there that we are moving animals, dogs and cats away from communities that are, quote, not good enough or don't deserve these animals or they're not you know, good pet owners. And so there's a lot of issues with taking that approach and primarily when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI initiatives. It's going against a lot of what we're trying to change as, as an industry. And we, we shouldn't believe that any community is not worthy enough to adopt a dog or adopt a cat locally. So I would challenge everyone that's listening to this presentation to 
get that sort of verbiage, get that language out of our everyday speak. We shouldn't say get them out of this state or get them out of this city um, and really embrace that local community first. That's the only way to move forward with our DEI initiatives and, and the work that we're trying to do as a country. The other thing that we really should think about is is investing in our source communities. So for so long, and even when I got started only you know eight to 10 years ago with Transport, it was unheard of for Southern shelters to have to ask a, a receiving organization to cover any of the costs. So a lot of the burden of getting animals to safety through tra- transport rescue partnerships have unfortunately fallen on source communities. So when we're looking, if you know I'm in Austin or San Antonio and we're looking to move animals out of Texas to a different part of the country, that burden shouldn't all be on the, the Southern partner's shoulders to figure out the logistics, to pay for all the vetting, to pay for all the cost of transportation. Those obligations and and those logistics should be shared between the partners. And so that's a really important piece that we can change today is talk to our communities, talk to our partners and see how can we invest and and help you with this so the burden isn't falling on one side and and not the destination. The other piece too is pushing ourselves every day to adapt and and pivot to better help our partners. I'm gonna talk a little bit about that in just a bit about how we can listen, be a better rescue partner. But it's important that instead of having a laundry list of things that your organization can't help with, so we can't help large dogs, we can't help adult cats. If you're hearing that partners need that help, that 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 is a transport need, pushing ourselves to figure out how can our programs be stronger, how can we adapt and change and maybe create a program that can take in large adult dogs or take in a, a few more medical cases a month. All of those changes are going to make a difference. So really being able to pivot based on the needs that are there. And then the last point I would say, big picture, is how we can work collaboratively to solve many issues that we have encountered across the country with transport. We know there's some big issues. We, we, we hear them all the time. Funding, logistics, how to match with partners, how to even figure out who's out there, how to figure out the transportation piece, how to make it more equitable. So the list goes on and on. Uh, We've worked in silos, I feel, as an animal welfare industry for many years. And so we have an opportunity today to change that. So how can we get together, work with groups, whether it be in our state or in different states, to figure out how we can solve some of these transport problems that have sort of plagued our industry for years, how can we work together to solve them together? So um, you have a map of the U.S. here. I have talked to Chris Roy from Dubert.com for a while on this, and he had such a genius idea that um, I couldn't agree more with him, and I thought I could have a visual of what we're talking about. So when we're looking at establishing partnerships, I keep mentioning Texas because I'm I'm here right now. So if, say, I'm in a shelter in Texas and I don't know where to start, the country is massive. I don't even know um, what partners are out there, what states to go to, but you might have a contact. If I'm here in South Texas, you might have a contact all the way up in the tippy top of Maine. And then all of a sudden you're starting to organize a transport, you know, all the way up to Maine. It's a lot of miles to travel. It's a lot of stress on dogs and cats to go that far across the country. So one of the initiatives that I think is such a smart strategy is essentially, if you could visualize a, a small circle, so draw a small circle, Um, around you. 
and start your outreach as close as possible to you. So if you have, say, 20 medium and large dogs that you just really need to move out, you have so many animals coming in, you need that extra support, looking close to you first at other rescues that possibly could take those 20 medium or large dogs. So as you can see, Texas is a large state. If you draw that small circle around you, you might not get out of Texas. You might be working with partners that are in your own state. So that's okay. And then if you haven't found any partners, then you can expand that circle a little bit further. So now we're looking at a couple states around us, and then you can expand it further after that. So always starting closest to you is going to be the most effective. It's going to be probably the least costly in terms of actual funds. So we know fundraising is a huge issue when it comes to transport. You're going to save money, you know, the shorter distance you have to go. Uh, most importantly, I would say just the stress on dogs and cats not having to travel, you know, two, three thousand miles when they can actually maybe just travel in a couple hours or, or you know, half a day. And then just the logistics, the planning, the actual transportation, wear and tear on vehicles or having to manage flights for further distance. It can be really challenging. So that's why we take that approach. And I think it's a really smart one. And it hopefully makes it a little less overwhelming if you're just looking at a smaller bubble. I'll visualize this, you know, if we think I, I have heard transports across the country. And so if you think about if you only have one partner in, say, Washington, and then you, you are here in Florida, that's a very large distance. And you can see how if you took this smaller distance approach, you don't have to go that far. So something to just sort of think about when you're looking at your strategy at establishing partnerships. One of the questions I probably get the most is how do I even find partners? So where do I even start? I think that's really important. So even if you have established partnerships, you've been doing transport for years, I have not met a shelter or a rescue that hasn't had to go back to the drawing board at some point and say, hey, look, I need more partners. I need to do partner outreach. And this is um, the steps that you would take, even if you're just starting out or have been doing transport for 10 years, it's going to be very similar. I will preface this and say that one of the sort of exciting national conversations that we're talking about right now is how do we solve this problem? We don't have a good sort of technology um, support that has been rolled out that just focuses on the role of matching. So these are things that are being talked about now. Um, until we have better solutions, we can sort of look at what technology um, is out there right now. And so if you don't know about these things or you haven't signed up on the group, I'll go, them, I'll go through them quickly. Um, number one website I would definitely look into is jubert.com. They have a national map on there where if you're drawing your little local circles around you, you can find partners that are closer to you through their national map. If you aren't part of different Facebook, closed Facebook network partner groups, I would definitely recommend joining those. So we have best friend network partners. There is a Facebook page for you. That's a great way to connect with partners and keep your finger on the pulse nationally of what's happening. There's also an AMPA or American Pets Alive rescue and support page. And then think of mutual contacts too. So there's big organizations, Maddie's Fund, ASPCA, Petco Love, PetSmart Charities. There's also uh, microchip companies. Think about also companies that are traveling all over the country. They might be a great mutual contact for you. And then also your shelter software. So if you're on Chameleon or Shelter Love, these are representatives that are traveling across the country and may be able to help you with these connections. So we're sort of looking for a mutual connection 
when you're trying to find new partners, see who can connect you. So you might not know anybody in different states or even within your state, but that's where that networking is going to come in handy. And it's crucial, absolutely crucial. So work those mutual connections, ask who they know and put your needs out there to try to get those contacts. I will say that when you start doing outreach, it can be scary. It can be a little bit discouraging because sometimes you have a big need. You say, you know, we need 20 or 30 dogs that we need help with. We just have so many. Our shelter is crowded. We're having to make decisions on euthanizing for space. Um, that's a really tough place to be in. And when you reach out for help, there will be times where you'll, you're going to get a no. You're going to hear partners that are full um, but don't get discouraged. One of the most important and helpful strategies that have sort of assisted me along the way is instead of just hearing a no and stopping the conversation there, I take that as a contact. I have made a contact with you and now I'm gonna ask you, okay, you might be full and you might not be accepting dogs or cats right now as a rescue, but who do you know? So who could you get me in contact with so that I'm, you know, that there's my mutual contact. I can't tell you how many times that's helped me in the past. And then the other thing that you wanna do is really um, join national conversations. So there are many national weekly calls happening. Maddie's Fund hosts them Monday uh, and Friday, Monday morning and Friday morning calls. Definitely jump on them if you can. You will make so many contacts. Um, American Pets Alive hosts calls, Best Friends hosts many webinars. So start looking at their websites, start getting on those calendars. You might not be able to make every single call, but really important to attend the ones you can, get in that chat, do those, do the private messages and make connections with partners there. It is basically our sort of virtual conference that we have weekly. So it's a, it's a great way to start connecting. Um, when you start with the partner outreach, I think a lot of times you might get a contact and then you don't really know what to do with it. So my biggest sort of to-do list, I would say, or action items from this would be to make your own contact list. So follow up with every lead that you can get possible. So if you are, say you found a partner on Jubert or you found a partner that reached out to you through Best Friend Network Partner Facebook page, create a spreadsheet, list all of the names, list the contacts, list where they are located and what they said that they could help you with and follow up with them. That's the biggest thing. A lot of times we get connected to people and we might get busy and then we forget to follow up. So that's where that spreadsheet's really important. And then when you get a no, you know, sometimes rescues are full. You might reach out to 10 rescues and eight of them say they, they, can't, they can't help you right now. If they say, you know, check back with me in a month or I might have availability in three weeks, put it on your spreadsheet. You know, make sure to check back with them when they said to check back. That's you cultivating these new relationships. And it's so important to be networking like that. And don't be shy. This isn't a time to be shy. Getting out there, you know, meeting new partners. It's going to be a lot of work at first and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but everyone's doing it. So if you are a source shelter, if you are in the South and you are overcrowded and you're looking for support, just know that there's partners on the other end that have empty kennels. They have a wait list of adopters and they equally are trying to find you too. So that networking piece is so important. Utilizing volunteers. A lot of times the biggest thing I hear about outreach is that we just don't have time. You know, we are busy with our day to day. I don't have time to sit down and be reaching out to, you know, all these partners. That's a great volunteer role. So you, you could uh, work with a volunteer, create a little job description for them, 
they don't have to make the full conversation, but they could just start reaching out and then hand you the, the contact when they start getting replies back. So that is a great job description and it can be done remotely. So during COVID, if you're not able to have people, you know, physically work at the shelter, it's something that they could do, you know, from email at home. And then tips for that first contact. So if you get in contact with someone, there's a lot of things that, you know, I've seen kind of just go south. But here are some, you know, pro tips that I would say is personalize your reach out. Uh, a lot of times there's not a lot of motivation to respond to a sort of a group message or a mass email that goes out when you feel like it didn't come to you. So if you get a contact, you know, use their name, personalize the reach out in the in the contact, in that initial reach out. And then focus on your mutual contact. So if you found them through best friend network partners, or if your shelter love software representative connected you, focus on, you know, that Amy, you know, from shelter love was the one that connected you. I think that common ground is going to already put you up on the right foot and then emphasize their impact they're making. So if you are working with a partner, you can tell them about the struggles that you're under, um, emphasize how important this partnership would be and what it would mean for your shelter and for your community. And then focus on what you can provide. So if you can provide any vetting, if you can provide, you know, volunteer coordination help or, you know, really organized communication, emphasize your strengths, emphasize, you know, what you can provide and bring to the table. And then being personable and easy to work with. I can't tell you how important this is. We are all very busy. It's a stressful world that we're working and living in. But just being patient, being professional, um, it really goes a long way. And then I can't uh, emphasize this enough either. Starting with a phone call, being personal. Sometimes our life is on email, but a 30-minute you know, call or even better, maybe a Zoom or, you know, some video connection that you can have. So you really get to know that person. It is tough when you're talking and working with organizations in a different state. You've never been to their facility. You've never met the staff. Having that personal contact, I think, for both ends of the of the partnership really is helpful to have. And then tips for successful partnerships. We're going a little bit more into when you have that conversation, when you have that after you've made that first contact, these are some ongoing tips that I think everyone should you know, take home. So really listen to what the other partners need. Many times I've entered into partnerships where the first interaction is just a laundry list of things that, you know, that, that receiving rescue cannot take. So we can't take large dogs. We can't take metal cases. And it's all these can't, can't, can'ts. All the requirements are right up front. And I understand sort of the reasoning for that. It's to, you know, Put it all out on the table and to clearly communicate. But I, I think just listening first at what the other organization needs is a better approach. Uh, we can always get to requirements later and the MOUs, you know, you know, in those initial conversations. But that first touch point, it's so important just to hear because who knows, you know, maybe they need help with large, you know, shepherdy looking active dogs, and you might have a lot of adopters for, you know, that population. But you will never understand that if you sort of blast them with a list of requirements without actually just having a conversation. Um, On the other end of that, you will never know how your organization can truly be a helpful partner if you don't listen to what the needs are. And then embrace our partnership. So if you are to the point of creating a transport roster and you are in the point of planning a transport and you know one of the dogs gets uh, adopted or one of the dogs is returned to their to their home their owner or their pet owner comes forward and reclaims them i've seen times where this can cause frustration 
this can, you know, put sort of a conflict between the partners. But I think this should be something that we all are embracing. We're all celebrating because our approach should be local first. So even if you're an organization in, say, Virginia, and you're working with a partner, you know, in Florida or Texas, and they have a return to home or they have a local adoption, all the partners should be celebrating that because we are truly coming at this from a local first approach. And then clear communication. This is more for if you are, you know, organizing this from the the source side. If I am planning a transportation, if we are, you know, organizing kennels and paperwork, all of that is really important. Um, it makes such a difference. You can only imagine kind of how overwhelming it can be to have 50 dogs arrive at your doorstep all at once and having to organize all that paperwork. So being a good partner means organization, smoother transports, less delays, switching dogs and not having dogs labeled and things, all of those things, you know, it seems really small, but it can tack on hours, you know, onto transports when there's disorganization um, and things are kind of messy. And then coming together to really figure out creative ways to invest in the source community. Can we be doing fundraisers to help the communities that we're partnering with? Can we send back, you know, blankets, vaccines? Can we do, you know, mini events, you know, to be able to cover all the costs of transportation for six months or something? So thinking about ways that we can do, you know, to really raise the money, send money, send support back to the source community is incredibly helpful. So when we're growing our partnerships, one of the things that is so important is constantly self-assessing. So as we anticipate the needs, how needs are shifting in the country, are we going to be needing to save more large dogs? Probably yes. Uh, Saving more medical cases, dogs with behavior challenges. How can our programs shift and adapt to better serve those dogs and cats and, and save more lives? Most likely more fosters, probably less barriers to adoption. All of these things are things we could be talking about and thinking about today to anticipate future needs. And then communicate clearly. So source and destination shelters, if you're struggling somewhere, you know, if things are disorganized, if you are, you know, your space, you're in a space crisis, um, really listen to each other. Don't be afraid to hide where the challenges are. I think the only way to have strong partnerships is to be really open and transparent and listening to the other, uh, each other and accepting help um, and learning from others as well. So lastly, uh, questions that, you know, takeaway questions we can ask ourselves. What does a successful partnership look like to you? I think we should not just be thinking in the today, you know, or this month, but look at a couple years from now, you know, make our list. What do we really think when we're successful with our rescue partnerships? What does it look like? A few ideas that I I think of that come to mind that both partners and communities are benefiting and not at the expense of one or the other. So it's an equal, you know, we're equally in it together, not just the, you know, source community is having to do all the work to find rescue partners or to, you know, pay for transport or organize the logistics. The partner organizations, even though you might have never met physically in person or been there, uh, they feel like an extension. You all are working not in silos, but really as one for a common goal. You know, your rescue coordinator with another organization's rescue coordinator almost feels like you're working for the same organization. I think that would be a great uh, measure of success. And then full trust and transparency. I think that's huge. Even if you've never met each other, having that trust, again, working alongside each other and having that open communication If you ever, lastly, if you ever have the chance to visit each other in person, um, maybe sending staff to one location, working there for a week, I think that would be amazing. You know, truly learning about each other's challenges, 
how you can be better partners, and how you can save more lives. The podcast team, Tawny Hammond, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.